This week, as part of the EdTech podcast launch party, Drink Sponsors ELT Jam are offering three free half-day workshops to help you improve the experience that you're providing your learners or clients. The ELT Jam team will work with you to prepare an agenda which matches your needs and facilitate an engaging and results-focused workshop. So you can organize these as you wish uh, to get the most out of them, but some examples to get you thinking around those ideas are problem to product. So clarify the problem and work together to find an appropriate solution. Learner experience design. So look at your product through our learner experience lens and MVP development. So identify your riskiest assumptions and how best to test them. If you're interested, please email joe at eltjam.com to put your name in the hat and for more information on who ELTJAM are, uh, what they do and how they can help, visit www.eltjam.com forward slash welcome. Hi, I'm Courtney Rowan and welcome to the EdTech Podcast. Hello, I'm Stefan Kasper and this is the EdTech Podcast. Hi, I'm Clarissa Shea. Welcome to the EdTech Podcast. And welcome to the EdTech Podcast. This week we're in conversation with the University of Southampton in the UK. First up, the University iChamps, led by Fiona Harvey, Chair of the Alternative Learning Trust and Education Development Manager at the Institute for Learning Innovation and Development at the University of Southampton. The iChamps are students at the university who learn new skills and tools which help staff to deliver teaching and learning in more engaging ways whilst improving their own digital literacy. I'm in conversation with third-year chemistry students Courtney Rowan and Clarissa Che, who talk about the challenges, opportunities and experiences of the programme. A big shout out to Fiona for helping to set up the interview, which we finally got done third time lucky after an SD card and firewall fail. Next up, Stefan Kasper, Media Development Lead from the Institute for Learning Innovation and Development, again at the University of Southampton. I have a really interesting chat to Stefan about what breeds an appetite for innovation and we compare ingenuity across the FE and HE sectors. We also investigate some top tools for academics and researchers and look at the broader context of sharing the value of work in a post-Brexit age. This interview was recorded at the University of Southampton's podcasting event. A big shout out to Stefan for inviting me to speak and post a resources for anyone thinking of podcasting in the show notes. And finally, I'm very excited about the EdTech podcast launch party next week and welcoming you all, or those that can attend, should I say. We have attendees from schools, FE, HE, government, investors, startups, blue chips, publishers, museums and media. This week, a big hello to our new drink sponsor, Souring X Capital, who are helping with investment in early stage dynamic UK EdTech companies looking to expand their business globally, especially into China or the East Asian market. If you're an EdTech startup listening and interested in finding out what this means for you, please contact Billy at indexld005 at gmail.com. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And I've also had a first few questions for the EdTech Podcast live panel via Twitter using hashtag EdTechPod. So keep sending those in. And finally, you can download the guide via guidebook app, search the EdTech Podcast launch party, hashtag EdTechPod as the password. And for everyone else, I hope to bring the EdTech Podcast live to a town near you in 2017. Yay!
I'm so good. <laughs> I'm just pleased that I can actually hear you because last time it was so ridiculous. Because you guys, I could tell you're obviously like cracking up because it was so ludicrous. And then I was just getting really irate with this bloody thing that wasn't working. So um, anyway, we got there in the end. Brilliant. So absolutely delighted to finally have connected successfully with um, Courtney Rowan and Clarissa Che. So um, Courtney and Clarissa are known as iChamps at the University of Southampton. And if I remember correctly, you're both studying chemistry. Yes. And as I understand it, iChamps is this amazing initiative at the University of Southampton, which takes on board new students from any different discipline within the university and essentially um, upskills them in new digital skills and then aligns them with academics looking to employ those skills to deliver their teaching, learning and uh, academic research uh, to best effect. Um, so I think this initiative is like, amazingly exciting on, on a number of different levels in, in the sense that it's getting um, academics and students uh, working together in a different way. It's enabling students with these amazing digital uh, literacy skills. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just something that I was really interested in as soon as I heard about it. So Courtney and Clarissa, just to give a bit of backstory to our listeners. So this for those that know John Peel uh, was in the theme of all good broadcasters quite a um, a marathon to get this recording done so first of all the SD card uh, ran out after we did this amazing recording at the podcasting events that was quite ironic given the subject matter and then we tried to use another remote platform which didn't work and we think perhaps that was a a firewall issue and now finally good old Skype and um, a bit of cool recorded technology um, means that we're finally talking so welcome to the EdTech podcast yay (laughs) thanks for having us (laughs) awesome so um, first off first question perhaps you could give your own description about the iChamps program and you know a little bit of history about how you both came to be involved in that yeah sure so I think we both took quite different paths to getting there so I saw the iChamps vacancy advertised as a summer internship, so I applied that way. Um, I think it was the first time that they actually advertised it that way. Normally the academics would choose a student who they thought was particularly special and they'd like to work with. Um, Courtney, your one was... Yeah, I I went for it differently. I remember messaging my personal tutor because you get assigned a personal tutor at university saying I was looking for a job over summer. I didn't want to just do like regular bar work. I wanted to do something related to my degree. And then he pointed me in the direction of the iChamp scheme and just took it from there, really. We had interviews and it was all really scary, but we both yeah. got on. So that was really nice. <laughs> yeah, I remember last time we spoke, uh, you were saying how the interview process was quite rigorous. And, you know, you started off kind of like questioning what's this thing all about. And by the end, you were you were really into being on it. So you were really delighted when you finally got on. Yeah, yeah. All the words, I think it was the big words like the it, our role is the innovations and digital literacy champion and at first I was thinking they're not they're not words I come across <laughs> as a student I remember thinking the same and then when you had like the job description and it yeah. just said you were just introducing technology to chemistry and obviously that's very vast yeah so I remember thinking we, we both just didn't know what the project our first project would be about and then obviously you got, got, got briefed on the project and yeah. it made a lot more sense and at the end of the interview you're like oh my god I want this so much yeah you, you realized you wanted it so much yeah. at the end of the interview <laughs> and I 
I think that's you know a really good life lesson as well. So you, uh, lots of applications that you'll come across after this um, will use those big words and sound incredibly intimidating. But when when you break it down, it's usually not as complex as perhaps it first sounds. Yeah, yeah I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, and so can you kind of give us some examples of some of the projects that you've taken on and the application? So both the tools that you've uh, learned to use and how you've then applied those or academics that have really um, benefited from them as well. We've worked on two projects so far, both like quite big projects, um, both really different. Behind the projects, I think we started off like went straight into our first project and um we also had training with Fiona and Fiona taught us like a different side of it. So she'd teach us all of the digital literacy skills. So like documenting what we'd been doing on Pathbrite, um, displaying it, making our image online, like keeping up a professional image and a consistent one on lots of different platforms. Mm. Um, and I think just getting us out there. So that was what I feel like our main focus was with Fiona's side of it. Yep. So then uh, when we were working on the project with Tom, um, do you want to explain a bit? Yeah, like for, for our first project, it was called LabDog. And it was basically bringing this sort of interactive learning platform for the foundation year students at chemistry so that they could use it in the lab. So instead of just reading the lab script and doing what it said, as if, you know, just following like a recipe and not thinking about what you're doing, it made you stop, answer questions, like think about what you were doing. So it was, it was like a more engaging platform for the students to sort of bounce off and learn from. So okay, so encouraging less passive learning and yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, I think thinking what you're doing as you're going along as well, rather than just getting through it, just following instructions. You have to actually think about the theory behind what you're doing. I suppose what's great about the project is it puts you in situations that perhaps you wouldn't otherwise find yourself in. So that might be um, working with various members of staff or in uh, disciplines outside of chemistry and that kind of thing. You know, we've all had bad experiences of tech. Do you ever get any resistance in terms of actually using some of those technologies? And how do you go about perhaps bringing people around to the idea that, you know, once the time's invested, it is really worth it? I think our longest meeting that we had was an hour and a half trying to <laughs> show an academic the benefits of a program that we were going to be using yeah um because I think another thing as well is that if they've used similar apps or similar software beforehand and it's maybe gone wrong yeah they're less likely to want to jump straight into something else even if we show them how good it can be they've seen all Mm. these problems firsthand and they can like they've had a bad experience so they're less willing to try something new I think as well, like when you said, like, how do you sort of like overcome the problem? I think Chris and I found that if if we've been using a technology, like it, rather than just talking to people about the technology, it's a, like 10 times better to show them the technology and show yeah. them how it can work firsthand. I yeah. mean, just, with our current project Nearpod, we've introduced it this week with the lecturers and we've had a, we've encountered a couple of problems and like not everyone's taken to it just because it's with the Wi-Fi system and it's been a little yeah. bit hit and miss. But we have one lecturer and he's, he's dedicated a lot of time putting in stuff and it worked really well for him and it's gone really well. So it does show that if you put in a little bit of effort, it can really pay off like a long way, especially for the students. Yeah, I think the students, they did a poll at the end of this particular lecture and uh, 75% said that they liked using this new app. Next. Okay, cool. And, and what does that particular app do? Because I remember last time that when I asked you what was your favourite tool that you've come across, <laughs> you were quite excited about that one. 
Yeah, I think Nearpod and Pathbright are the biggest yeah. thing for us. Yeah, I think so. Nearpod is is basically like you're engaging. Like if you're giving a lecture, you can give that lecture through the use of a smartphone, an iPad, or a tablet, or a laptop, anything with a web browser. But it does have an app anyway, and it just allows you to like ask the students questions. You can get them to draw things and. It just allows you to do so much more in a lecture rather than just being talked to you for 45 mm. minutes. So it's a lot more interactive and engaging again for the students. I think that's basically the purpose of iChamps, just make things more engaging yeah. for students. And do you know, in terms of iChamps, are you aware of any other universities that do something similar? Yeah, so there's been other students at conferences that we've been to because um, that's something else that we do quite regularly. We mm. just attend and uh, speak about our work as iChamps and there was a student panel at the GISC conference okay there were students from up and down the country but I think although they do similar things it's still quite different yeah I think, we do because I, I think yeah so the student panel was like um student staff partnerships based and it was yeah. digital digital skills but not everyone worked in the same way like, I think we're yeah. one of the only one programs to document what we're doing through Pathbright, like a portfolio With system well. and have digital badges as well. I don't think many of them do that evidence their skills, but they do do the same similar things. I think another big thing is that we're treated equally as well with the staff that we work with. So um, we get a lot of respect from them and they really listen to our ideas and encourage us to run with them. Well, so. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this last time about your experience with working with Fiona. Yeah, she's, as Fiona is like a mentor, is just, just amazing because she does just like, you know, embrace every idea we have and like, she, yeah, just, she's great. <laughs> High energy, which is good. Okay, and then do you know, I don't know if you know this, but um, any alumni that have been on the iChamps programme, do you know which particular professions or the sort of pathways they've taken after university? It's a new thing. I think it was introduced, I think Fiona told us, three, three years, years ago. Okay. I mean, We've only had one person. So Rebecca's left. Yeah, we've only had one person who was the original iChamp leave, and she's now doing a master's or like a PhD, I think, at yeah, a different university. So there aren't really any iChamps that have gone on to work yet. We're still we're still babies. <clears throat> and, yeah. and how about your both of your own particular aspirations? Do you think you'll go into something that uses these digital skills? Have you got any idea exactly what you'd like to do yet? In case anyone's listening in. Um. So I think like. Our digital skills that we've learned have already been so applicable even before we've gone on to an actual job, just applying for our placements next year. Yeah. The amount of things that I've mentioned in my CV to do with our job and also our Pathbright portfolios give a direct representation. It's all visual so they can see straight away all of our work that we've done. So even just representing ourselves to get a job, yeah, I feel like we've honed that. it's yeah. helped so much what we've done. Um, also we've both because we've talked in front of people at conferences I think 200 people is the biggest audience that we spoke to and um, we've got like more comfortable doing it so we spoke to some freshers last week the whole year group and we didn't even really they didn't think even about bat it. an eyelid yeah. yeah it was just like second nature whereas our first talk we were so nervous <laughs> <laughs> we just got so much more used to it and that's something that we've learned without meaning to that's brilliant yeah that's a great skill to have yeah. I mean, the only other thing I was going to ask is whether you have anyone either among your peer group or your parents that are sort of anti-tech or anti-digital that don't really get it or whether that's just like totally normal now. I think people are adapting to it. So if it was like 10 years ago, then 
obviously there'd be a lot more people that were anti-tech but I think the people that were originally like that have had to come to accept it yeah I think technology now is just so readily available and it's become so integrated within our society that it's hard to ignore it it's hard yeah. not to be a part you of it you can't really avoid it yeah it's quite hard like, I know my dad doesn't have Facebook but like <laughs> but he has to use Excel and other things in computers yeah. so yeah there's always that awkward thing when um, family members get on Facebook as well because they have to decide <laughs> whether you're going to befriend them or not <laughs> always the tough question I think uh, I kept my mum blocked for a while <laughs> yeah I think I've only just released you know allowing my uncle to be my friend which is after about 10 years or something um and in terms of you two what's next so after say like the next six months um both in terms of you know your own uh degrees and then also in terms of um iChamps have you got any big projects coming up so our Nearpod project is still so new, like we'd only just started it when we first spoke to you. So we're a couple of months in, we've done all the training with staff. So now we're just watching it roll out and seeing any problems that might pop up. So we're going to be uh, keeping an eye on that and getting feedback from the student and staff. But in terms of chemistry, we've just started our project, so we're going to be pretty busy. Yeah, we've, we've got, um, in third year, you have to, you can choose between a research project or an advanced practical, and Chris and I are both on the, the research project, so you, we're actually working on stuff that's, you know, never really been done before, which is really exciting. And I think in terms of, like, the next year, like, we've, we've both gone for the six-month, you're on the six-month placement. Yeah. But yeah, so we get to maybe go abroad or go in industry, so I think it's, I think the next year is going to be so exciting, but so busy for us. And we yeah. also want to um, roll out the digital badges for everyone at uni. So we want to have ones that they can do as something extra for themselves. So yeah, we're going to be spreading awareness of that as well. Yeah, I think that's sort of like our next project that we'd like to do is that obviously a lot of people at university do lots of different things, like whether it be sport, whether it be like volunteering for like a charity. Yeah. Things. We're looking at trying to give away that they can evidence that they've done this. Then when they go and say, well, I volunteered and I did all these great things, then they can actually show that, you know, their employer or you know, an interview or something like that. So I think, yeah, that would be the next step, hopefully. Are you able to describe what it is exactly in your research for your chemistry? Which area are you looking at? I think we have to be relatively confidential. Oh, you do? Okay. I'm looking at synthesising silver nanoparticles. So. Wow. <laughs> well, lucky you. <laughs> that's a, uh, yeah, that's incredible. And that's quite a growth area, isn't it? Nanotech, that kind of area. Yeah, so then I'm moving on to using the nanoparticles with DNA and lots of different ways to use that. I'm sort of working in the field that um, it just won the Nobel Prize, actually, on Wednesday. So it's like molecular machines and macrocycles. I think I can say that much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I will look both of those uh, areas up and I will include all the links in the the show notes for those that aren't uh, so closely related to them. And for those that want to follow you as well, um, do you want to give away your Twitter handles? Uh, yeah, sure. For uh, all job offers and uh, other... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or gifts. Of it. Yeah, yeah. Probably of the sweet kind. <laughs> um, my Twitter handle is at Courtney J. Rowan. Mine's underscore Clarissa J. Perfect. And how about the iChamps? Are you on Twitter as iChamps as well? Yes, you yeah. are. The iChamps handle is at iChamps. Okay, well, it's absolutely brilliant. I'm so pleased that we got to reconnect and best of luck with all of your studies and um, all other activities. And uh, no doubt our paths will cross again. Yay! Thank you, you, Sophie. (laughs) Take care. Have a good weekend, both. You You too. too. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. 
Quick break in proceedings to bring you news from Clearly So, our partners, again, for the EdTech Podcast launch party. Clearly So is Europe's leading impact investment bank, working exclusively with businesses and funds, delivering positive social, ethical and or environmental impact along with financial return. Clearly So supports capital raising activity through financial advisory work. Originally founded in 2008, Clearly So has helped more than 100 clients raise more than £100 million in impact investment from its extensive network of high net worth individual and institutional investors. You can follow them at Clearly So and contact John Lloyd, john.lloyd at clearlyso.com for more information. So I'm here with Stefan Casper. Stefan, would you like to say what your role is here at the University of Southampton? Yes, uh, at the University of Southampton, I'm the, I suppose, the media development person. So I work with a central unit that looks after teaching and learning and professional development, and I have the sort of media bit. So if you have an idea, a theory, or uh, or a concept, and you want to create some resource around that, that might be a film, a video, uh, goodness knows, a podcast, something like that, um, then I've got a team of animators and video people, um, people who do data visualizations, uh, uh, some medical imaging as well, and we'll help you to create something that you can put on your course or VLE or, or where, wherever you want to, really. So that's a brilliant introduction. Why I'm really excited is because, so Stefan, if I understand it correctly, so you were listening to the EdTech podcast. Yes. And then you thought about this idea of hosting an event on podcasting for academic ends, I suppose, and got in contact. So tomorrow there's, what, what's the title? So uh, it's, the, uh, it's a podcasting micro-conference. And... I think I was hedging my bets, really. I called it a micro-conference because I didn't realize, I didn't think anybody would turn up. I'll, I'll be really honest with you. <laughs> and now it's sold out. And uh, that th- we had, uh, say, so we've got about 150 people on the list. We hope at least more than half of those people turn up. And uh, it, it's the interest and appeal has been um, really fantastic. And lots of people have been in touch and said that they'd uh, like to like to join us for the day. Um, I've been speaking to lots of wonderful people like yourself who who come along and talk, and it's really sort of um, opened the lid on on the sort of potential of podcasting at Southampton, which which we do a little bit, but we could do a lot more. So yeah, so I'm just really really excited as well because in a minute we're going to have a meal, and that's going to be well. Some of the people that are speaking tomorrow, people like Joe Dale, who was on the EdTech podcast, um, Modern Foreign Language Expert, and people like Martin Ostwick, who is the producer of Answer Me This, but also, a, I think, a social scientist. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he does a podcast called Sociable Physics, yeah. which is great. And he's a musician, does all the music for all the podcasts as he well. He does a Tom so. Waits podcast as well, doesn't he? Oh, I haven't listened to that one. Yeah, that I, think, I think he's got like three or four and um, you know involved a whole raft of other ones. And then there's Kelly Long as well, so an innovate for teachers which people might be familiar with so yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to it I've, I've not been to anything like this before I mean are you familiar do you know if um, other universities have hosted things like this gosh I, I don't know um, I'll, I'll tell you what, how it kind of came about for us is that uh, one of the things that I run is a sort of media special interest group so we try and uh, every year do some sort of event uh, around something that that might interest people or a particular piece of media or a tool or, or a bit of software so we've done things using uh, around interactive media um, people creating their own sort of animation or data visualization and then sort of podcasts came up and and again and again and I'm 
you know, guilty for starting lots of things and not not finishing them really. And podcast is one of the things, and I'm a, a very fair weather podcaster. And I thought, well, gosh, if I have a, a podcasting conference, if I really get a, a big intensive moment around that, then we could really get a lot of people doing this. And there's already a little community of people doing podcasts, and we have a very dormant iTunes U site. Mm. And there are things, and there, there's some really fantastic content. I mean, I've, I've been at Southampton um, for about two and a half years, and there's no shortage of people with absolutely amazing stories to tell. Yep. And I just think podcasts is a way to do that um, in a way that um, yeah, yeah is, is meaningful and engaging. Yeah, I think it's slightly more natural perhaps than, um, you know, if you invest in setting up a camera, getting the lighting right, um, it, it sometimes can feel like, you know, you have to present the story in a certain way. Whereas I think the beauty of the podcasting medium can be that a conversation sort of meanders and those interesting parts come out um not necessarily you, you know perhaps you didn't even know that was going to happen but it, it just comes about in that way so I mean I know you've had a really interesting background prior to uh Southampton so perhaps can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to this role and your experiences previously in further education I think the BBC yeah a little yeah. bit yeah I've you know like everybody these days it's a roundabout route and you have many careers don't yeah. you uh but I I did I trained originally as a filmmaker and and then I, and I worked on feature films, lots of very bad lottery-funded films for a long time. And then I started to do my own thing and 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 create uh, content, as it were. And sort of the advent of the web, uh, more and more content was, you know, I went to the BBC where I think you had very defined roles. You could be a you know your producer, camera operator, sound recordist, and more and more they were looking for a person who could do all of those things. Could uh, write and then go and grab the camera off the shelf and go and interview somebody. So the platform started to change. It weren't always about broadcast. They started to be more about the web, but also you had to create something that could also be used in radio. You uh, could be used in a, a tiny snippet. Could be used in a little report, or something could lead to a, a long longer feature mm. so um, I was really interested in that and I, I started working for a, a few different um, people at the BBC uh, including uh, informal learning as well and I had a, a little spell there and that really got the kind of the education side of me going and I'm, I'm also from a kind of long line of teachers in my family so I suppose that's always been there in the background and I was still living on the south coast and I was going up to London every day and I worked in Marleybrone High Street which is um, a lovely place to work but uh, awful on your wallet when you go for lunch and then I had a little family and I was traveling up to London still and, I, and the local college uh, had wanted a media person one day a week and I thought you know what I could I could probably do that sort of one afternoon and then I could be home and one afternoon turned into kind of a day and two days and then they made me head of department and so I kind of that was the step really from broadcasting into uh, education. I'm guessing the the people in Marlborough were suddenly like well, you know where's Stefan gone? And, <laughs> yeah a know. little bit yeah and I think you know you're a staffer and then you're a freelancer and you jump on and off on and off yeah. all, all the time and project by project but I was really lucky I got involved with some really super projects at the BBC and and that's that was still going on whilst I was doing my teacher training and and I was really able to kind of bring all that together so after after doing that for for yeah about sort of six or seven years um i i've I've come here and i'm really lucky where that this is a job that combines the two it has the education side and the broadcast side so 
yeah, I think I'm very lucky. And how do you think innovation differs between, say, BBC, further education sector and higher education sector? Gosh, uh, they're all, I mean, I really thought that, and I've, I've found that the BBC and HE uh, have been very similar, or Southampton. I mean, you know, my experience isn't vast, but I think their change happens very slowly. Um, there's lots and lots of people involved. These are big uh, organisations. In FE, it's much more agile, and the also it's really. I mean, it's, it was just felt always felt like it was being squeezed so much, and 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 there's a resourcefulness that people have when that starts to happen that you I don't find uh, elsewhere. And in many ways, I've I've found the most uh, innovative uh, teachers are. I've been the ones in FE. I can hear lots of people on your podcast screaming <laughs> at the podcast at the moment. But. No, I mean, I think they're probably, um, well, certainly the FE sector will be glad to hear someone sort of championing them because I think they have a rough ride as well at the time. So um, I, should, I should say, it's funny that the people that I've met at HE mm. uh, who are real go-getters, people like Fiona Harvey and that, they're, they all, they're also from a, an FE background and yeah. you just learn to travel at speed yeah and then when you arrive in HE it's a little bit yeah I was going to ask about that I mean the way you described your department in terms of someone can come to you and you know basically they can leave with a data visualization an infographic or an animation or you know that sounds like absolute like an absolute dream in terms of um, being able to put a concept and then repurpose it in different forms which carry ideas very quickly and with impact so how much of in the University of Southampton how many make use of that department do you think and how if other people are listening that do something similar have you got any tips in terms of engaging people in in new mediums of delivering ideas yeah that's that's really interesting i i there's lots of ways to answer that the, we we are there and we serve a, a function and lots of people come to us and there's there's no shortage in, in demand absolutely but part of the reason that i'm there is i suppose that i have an agenda around teaching and learning so many people phone me up and they say uh, stefan i'd like a video and then we have a conversation about things like learning aims uh, and you know the pedagogy really and what I send them away with actually is a, a group activity around some flip chart paper you know and that's actually what's needed for the teaching and so uh, part of this engagement is around making the teaching and learning at Southampton better and that's the important part of it where learning design is a, a huge part of our process yeah and we've got a big remit to 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 ensure that teaching and learning you know it has the same status that research has and and when you're making that decision around what format that that learning process should take what's training informed that was that your teacher training at um, the FE side of things and are are there any particular sort of ideologies or or pedagogical theories that you love to go back to Uh, yeah I I am I'm an old constructivist (laughs) I think and I really want people not to just uh, create content and be consumers of content but I want them to create content as well so I'm it happens that there's a sort of two ends of this so I'm 
with, with my team, we can help you develop your materials and we can create some really cracking video. And we can, you know, we, sometimes we go out on field trips with people and we really capture as much as we can. And at the other end of this, I've got, I run workshops where I'm trying to get people to um, get these mobile phones out of their pockets and use them and, and create content that way. And that content could be, you know, audio just as much as video or, yeah. or just photographs. And I want people to be, I want students to be reflective practitioners. I want them to uh, create content as part of their, the evidence that they're submitting. And yeah, in the end, I suppose what I'm trying to do is get away from 12 lectures and an exam and turn it into something a bit more interesting. And do you think at the moment, would it be fair to say that there's a sort of slight disconnect between perhaps the staff and the students in that sense of that ease with which to create content to you know to, to, to basically dispose of it in terms of you know creating it getting it out there on yeah. over and over again yeah I think that's a real it's it's really hard it could be about time constraints and things like that uh, online learning and distance learning is uh, and and even if you're sort of blended learning if you're if you're creating content around that it, it takes some time you have to dedicate some you, your summer to doing that I mean the, yeah. you reap the benefits in the future but you yeah you have to have to really get stuck in uh, and that's sometimes quite a hard sell I think and perhaps students coming from FE have an expectation around a certain way that they're going to be taught they want to see more interactive content they want to be part of the learning uh, they in many cases they want to be actually um, co-creators as well and, and I think that's where that's you know that's Good for us. That's the driver for getting change as well at, at HE in terms of education. And are there any particular tools that you get very excited about? So we've spoken about podcasting, but I mean, are, are there any things that you, at the moment, either yourself or within the group that you mentioned? Yeah, coming there's out? lots of things. We 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 love blogs and we love uh, people using just really simple tools like WordPress. So we have a VLE, and people use that, but. We, we want um, platforms that are a lot more agile in that way. And something that I'm talking about a lot at the moment is a thing called H5P, okay. which is really good fun. So it's, it's, it's a, we thought of it a, a bit like Articulate Storyline, something that you could create multimedia with. And it's a bit of an open source kit that comes from Norway. And lots of people have started using it. And we went to Alt and presented around it. And it's a really simple kit to create uh, anything from uh, sort of quizzes to interactive video uh, branching narratives and I've seen it used in really sophisticated mm -hmm. ways and we're starting to spread the word so who knows the next conference might be about that. Okay interesting and I, I even loved um, so even when you were sort of delivering the I suppose all the assets around this event that's happening tomorrow I love the is it guidebook? The yeah. App? Yeah so that's fantastic just in terms of creating a quick community or you know there's, there's so many um, platforms like that that perhaps are usually paid for previously but I mean in terms of a small event that a community is putting on it's really great. Yeah absolutely that's I think that's part so when we're creating these resources and we're talking to people about what they're doing the learning design is a key part of it and then learning technologies as, as well so our learning designers will not only talk around the pedagogy of, of your course and trying to um, you know create, create a better rhythm and a, and a, and, and a greater kind of I don't know, a m more active sort of base around what, what's actually happening. But 
they've also got a suite of tools at their disposal that they can say, have you tried this? You know, I'm really I'm a big fan of ThingLink at the moment. Okay. And the way mm. you can uh, create interactive pictures and things like that. Mm. So, yeah, you know, you might, you might so somebody has a, a lot of nice uh, uh, tricks up their sleeve that they can talk to Yeah, I mean, about. any more of those, then shout them out because uh, <laughs> what we'll do is include them in all the show oh, notes yeah, okay. and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, I mean, you also mentioned previously some of the innovators that had come from FE. Are there any particular people that you really rate that are doing sort of similar things or being quite progressive in that way, either universities or individuals? Or oh, it's hard. Um, I'm, I'm I'm really trying to find innovative practice within HE, and there's really fantastic sort of pools of it and, and, and pockets of it. I think it's much more consistent in, in FE and lots of the places that I, I visited. And I was um, an, an external examiner for art and design for a little bit as well, so it was great. So I, I got to go and, and see what people were doing in other colleges. Yeah. And I think, yeah, there is a, a, a real consistency in terms of innovation. People are really pushing the boundaries, and, and I think uh, heads really need it because that's what makes the difference these days. And in HE, probably the, dri- the same drivers aren't quite there. So it's really around people's own passions for their subjects and those people start to see the possibilities and they start to use technology in a really interesting way and then they start to create courses that are of themselves really active really Mm. engaging and that get really good responses from their students but there's not a big movement to do that do you know a lot of um educators within southampton say who are on twitter so a lot of the lecturers on twitter and that kind of thing so that's quite active and normal now yes yes uh we're using twitter um lots of people are using slack as well starting to do things like that yeah i mean it's a really big university (laughs) you know and uh something about the states yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's you know as or around um what was it about nine thousand staff you know Mm. and and they're dotted around all over the place in fact all over the world and they're on field trips in south america and and southeast asia and a bit everywhere so it's hard to connect everybody are there any good kind of hashtags for or twitter chats in terms of i mean i used to use um lthe chat quite a lot um are there any other ones of those i wish that's my favorite yeah in fact I, i only recently earned my little badge uh, from Christian Ranzi, oh, really? yeah. <laughs> I need to get a badge. I need to get a badge because yeah, it doesn't always have to be complicated, does it? Because um, I've always been a big fan of the LSE public uh, lectures, and they podcast those. And to, to be honest, it's not hugely complicated. Obviously, they they bring in really interesting speakers. They deliver quite traditional lecture format but um i don't know and then that's podcasted but it's not yeah it's really hard because i I am trying to push it a little bit because we have lesson capture so every every lesson you can every room you can go in you can press a button Mm. and they'll will capture your your talk um but it has to be more than that and many of the videos that we first started making were people talking about their subject within a lecture hall and we just Mm. needed to try and get people out of those situations and you know show rather than just tell so so you know go into the lab or go on the field trip or take us to the place where uh, that you can talk about this particular thing and that's starting to happen a bit more and I want that to happen as well around um, audio Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I think that's one of the reasons of having the the event tomorrow. I want people to um, not just 
uh, talk, but to create pictures <laughs> and to have uh, more something more layered and something more yeah. uh, richer. Um, lesson capture is the number one thing that students ask for, but unfortunately, the numbers aren't still great. People really? don't watch them, so the demand is there, uh, and there's an expectation that they're watching all of those lectures. But and in fact, I mean, when I see the stats, they're they're very very low. So we have to, we're competing against so much, I, mm. I, I imagine. So I use channels like YouTube. Um, I try to put things on iTunes U. Uh, we need um, really compelling content just in the same way that any other broadcaster was. I don't see it as any different. I don't see the work that I'm doing um, here any different to a mm. programme that I would be making at the BBC. Yeah. Absolutely. And so what would be the, the, the key success criteria of making a programme on the BBC? And if you relate that back to... You know, yeah, I how think it's the same. Yeah, it's interesting because in the BBC, it's, it's all about those viewing figures, and but I, in HE, I really want it to be around uh, the conversations that come out of that, and we have the channels now whereby somebody can, um, you know, view or listen to content. But then they can be part of a conversation. They can start to come back, and and those conversations can be ongoing. And I think that's the real test. Mm. Uh, it's going to be really hard with TEF around measuring engagement. And one uh, metric that I know they're looking at is how many times people access resources on the VLE. And that's a really difficult thing if you don't have um, the channels for social learning, for learners to say, hey, I listened to this, but I was really unsure about this bit. What did you think? And for, for those conversations to be alive and opening. And in a way, I can understand why things like Facebook uh, and, and, and Twitter even, uh, those sorts of uh, very open channels are, are good channels for learning because learners can get so much from them. And, and it's kind of... Um so familiar as well so it doesn't have that kind of I I often say I often say to lecturers when they ask me well where should I put my stuff I say well poll your students and just just ask them and if they're all using Facebook in Mm. in the uh, room then why not stick it on Facebook equally you know other channels like Snapchat and things like that you know there's got to be ways um, people have can can use lots of different they can use whatever what they're already using yeah so don't try and pull them away from something they're already on and yeah, I, go to I where met, they are. Yeah, absolutely. I met somebody and they said they used uh, Ed, Edmodo or something and they said, I knew it would be a success because all my students were already on Facebook. And I thought, well, if they're already on Facebook, why don't you just use yeah. Facebook? And, you know, it just seemed, and, it's, and we're always asking people to set up a new account, set up a separate yeah, uh, yeah. come here. And to a certain extent, I think... A lot of the time, to, sometimes that's a vanity project as well because it's kind yeah. of like... Yeah, why recreate something that's already been done so well with so much investment? Um, you know, just use the platforms that are out there. Um, yes, there's a trick around scalability, isn't there? And I think there's a trap around it, and 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 I think that that's where um, VLEs are very compelling for universities because then they can get those numbers. Um, but I don't think it always complements the learning. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you have to go through all, all the channels that the learners are using already. That's why I love blogs, because actually th- that might be a blog that they start uh, when they're in secondary school or in FE, and they'll carry on all the way through university, and they might even carrying it, carry it on when they're in a job. And um, are there any blogs that you love that you'd like to share as well? Oh, goodness. Um I yeah I do read a lot of blogs and I at the moment I'm really sucked into Medium and all the different uh, oh, yeah. uh, Quite you a know, nice articles. Yes, isn't it? So, yeah, it is, yeah. and um, it's like a. 
big community blog uh, with lots of different contributors and and I think yeah that's what I'm stuck into at the moment it's really fascinating so in terms of getting your ideas out to the greatest number and therefore perhaps arguably making them more robust as well so there's um, an academic from a Canadian university called Dave Cormier and he talks about rhizomatic learning and his ideas are all about you know whereas I used to publish articles in very elite ivory tower journals and now actually You've got that old guard versus sort of rock star academics that are on Twitter that are using these channels. I mean, you know, is that is that idea kind of um, filtering down in terms of getting your ideas out to as many people as possible? Or, you know, is it is it still about perhaps that closed community of whichever area of research that you're dedicated to? Yeah. Uh, when I think when I first started at Southampton, my job really was about talking to educators and I soon realised that uh, everybody has a dual role and if you're on a balanced pathway then you're an educator and a researcher and in order for us to make our offer as a Russell Group University you know really compelling then we have to expose that research to undergraduates and we have to make a meaningful relationship between the the high-end research and and learning teaching and learning so I found that a lot of the tools that I'm teaching educators in terms of creating content for the courses, um, I'm also teaching researchers and they need to tell really good engaging stories about their research and I think that's starting to really come together and and tomorrow at the podcasting event you'll you'll meet as many researchers as educators or Mm. and and what I mean by that is how people define themselves you know because many people have that dual role. But research is still king, and and you um, you get your professorship based on your research, not on your teaching and learning. Mm. And mm. and we really need to get education uh, um, up there and thought of as highly as research is. And it's starting to happen, uh, mostly because of the event of student fees, things like that. But yeah, is, is there anything like um, the Varkey Foundation Award for Teacher Award, the Global Teacher Award, but for in the higher education sector? So trying to elevate that practice of teaching, as you said. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there are there are kind of you know Times Higher Education mm-hmm. Teacher of the Year and and things like that. And and again, there are really good academics who who are you know and educators who are very passionate and very dedicated and do absolutely incredible projects with their students but they tend to be pockets and and I really need a a big sort of strategy across the whole of HE that really brings uh, education right up to date so it can be as cutting edge as research. Uh, Maybe that's my experience at Southampton because when I talk to colleagues elsewhere they really are doing that and, and, and education really has that place. And what I was going to talk about tomorrow as well is, you know, what's the place of um, podcasting and other mediums to shout about the research you're doing post-Brexit. So, you know, if the pressure's on and all of a sudden, you know, comes to crunch time after the um, autumn budget and that kind of thing, you know, how do you actually use that to promote the value of what you're doing as well? Oh, it's really it's, it's a really interesting topic at the moment at Southampton. Lots of people are talking about Brexit and the fallout you know that we're really feeling um the community at southampton it, uh, is drawn from all across europe and although they've said they'll underwrite horizon 2020 funding and that sounds like a good thing on paper i think it's only funding that was that was previously agreed uh, what we're losing out really is that those those conversations those collaborations the the dialogue the the relationships that have spanned 
last sort of 30 years between academics, you know, from this country and uh, and and Germany and France and and Belgium and I was I was working with a team of chemists uh, last year and they really the work that they've done is only possible uh, not, you know, yes the funding absolutely but because of that the collaborative nature of of the, their projects and it just feels like they'll all carry on having that conversation <laughs> we, we but we won't be able to, to join mm. that and you know we're gonna we potentially we will lose a, a huge amount by turning inwards yeah I it's pretty depressing stuff convers- um, do you know dr Ru- rose lukin at ucl knowledge lab so okay i was having a conversation with her about a week ago and yeah, these conversations with people within higher education make me really upset because <laughs> they always end on this way when I talk about Brexit. But um, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, I'm it's not good. No, we'll have to see. Um, I, was, I was talking to uh, Opto Electronic Society as well last week and there again, uh, Brexit is the, the thing that they're all worried about. Yeah. You know, And you know, there are many, many American students who, or, or PhD students who come to the UK because they know that they can tap into a European uh, knowledge base and so they'll just sort of you know fly over us and and land in France and they'll have that conversation there but um we academically we're a gateway and that looks like that's closing okay we'll have to do this conversation again in like uh three years time probably yeah 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 I hope I'm proved wrong by it all yeah me too you know um and anything that came out of alt the event that happened recently yeah, I love Alt. It's such a lovely community of people and and like-minded, uh, you know, friends. Really, um, it was interesting when you look across the papers. There's always a theme for the year. There was a lot of talk around analytics and data. Uh, worried me a little bit that uh, we're very vendor-centric around education at the moment. They seem to be leading the agenda. Um, it's, I'm not anti, yeah. and, I, and I and I really, you know. I think the place of learning technologies is is absolutely crucial, um, but I also think uh, you know scalability suits vendors very much. I like I like it when people have their own particular kind of DIY methods of doing things or finding things that they, that work locally that don't necessarily so scale up. So mixing and matching rather than just sort of dropping a huge totally. box in. Yeah, this solution that yeah. everybody, everybody has and everybody promises and, and everybody has, yeah, it suits some people and it doesn't suit everybody mm. and uh, yeah, we need to, to, to think a bit more about that. But yeah, analytics and, and data, that was the what was being sort of served to us really and uh you're also going to come to the launch party for the edtech podcast launch party yes so, very excited um anyone listening you should come and meet stefan and um and what are you on uh twitter as well i'm dots and spaces on okay. twitter and i'm somebody mentioned i've been on twitter since 2005 which these days is quite a long time i realize yeah so i'm an old twitter early bird yeah an early bird there we go So yeah, let's go and have our meal and thank you very much. Thank you, thank you very much. (laughs) And finally in this week's episode, news from welcome sponsors Firefly Learning. So you may know Firefly is an online tool that brings together teachers, students and parents to set homework, track progress, share resources and engage parents. It's used by hundreds of schools worldwide, including Hyams Park School, Hammersmith Academy and the British International School of Cairo. 
Eight of the top ten UK independent schools use Firefly. And you can follow the team at Firefly Team and contact Alex McMillan, alex at fireflysolutions.co.uk with any inquiries. Thanks for listening, everyone. Next week, we have a really exciting program with a Kano takeover. Uh, We've got their head of education and three educators from the States talking about makerspaces, about creativity, coding, cross-curriculum stuff. So make sure you check in for that. And don't forget in the meantime that if you feel so inclined, you can rate and review on whichever channel you're listening to. And otherwise, just have a great week. Thanks. Bye.